I guess all the gadgets are on, right? Can you hear me okay? All right, today, good morning, brothers and sisters and fellow students. We're going to, we have two, uh, two things to, to, I suppose, look at. Firstly, we'll look at Tarsus, and then we will look at uh, the Ecclesia. Uh, you'll notice in, on Tarsus, we have as a subheading or what Tarsus is looking for, a question mark. Uh, I think maybe I've already said this uh, just in running over this, is to do the bidding of Yahweh. That is uh, to do the bidding of God. So that phrase is, uh, is, a, is a point that I picked up from Elpis Israel. Uh, like Adam now, I would re- I'll read it from Brother, Brother Thomas because he says it probably better than, than I can say it. But it's on page 442 in, in, the, in this edition of Elpis Israel. And here's what he says. He says, The finger of God has indicated a course to be pursued by Britain which cannot be evaded, in which her counselors will not only be willing but eager to adopt it when the crisis comes upon them. So that's, uh, I suppose we could take that into the thoughts of the, the angels or the Arabic figures who are at work in the kingdom of men to bring about these results and Britain is foreordained of Yahweh for the work that she has to perform. I think that's why it's extremely important that we understand who Britain is, uh, who Tarshish, which is our biblical name, and we'll just take a quick look at this. Brother Thomas again refers to this in a portion we'll read from him in a moment. Uh, you see the map, and it's actually right here. Brother Thomas says, look on ancient Bible maps and you'll see where the Sea of Tarshish is. The Sea of Tarshish, there it is. And uh, you just keep that. I think that should ever be kept in our minds. Uh, We made the point yesterday and also we looked at the picture, but at the transparency, but I'd like to just again bring it to our attention. This is the Community, the Commonwealth community comprises presently 57 countries. Uh, if we put the United States in it, it's about 2 billion people. So uh, it's worthy of note that it's, uh, this is a uh, a formidable community. We're going to read, I think we'll read a little bit in a moment from. Uh, uh, that, by the way, is in Milestones 85, which I happened to have with me, and I decided I would bring it and, and perhaps read a little bit of it when we uh, arrive at a point. Ancient Tarshish, which we saw from that first map, uh, was depicted kind of as a, as a sea. If we wanted to look at it in scriptural terms, uh, I would suggest uh, three or four things to keep in mind. Uh, firstly would be the, uh, the relationship of Hiram, king of Tyre, with that of David and Solomon. And also you might note that in, in that period there were preparations to establish relationships uh, in a very early time of David's reign, uh, perhaps while Saul was still king. And uh, we like to think so because that would lead us into the thought of having uh, the Tarshish Tyre name associated with Israel in a time previous to the kingdom, which we think is, is, uh, it would be proper. I'll give you a couple of references on those. We will not look them up, but 1 Kings 5 and 1 Kings uh, 10, 6, and 7 speaks of the Queen of Sheba 
and uh, they would be early presentations of of um, the Tarshish power in alignment with it with David and 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 Solomon. If you turn to Ezekiel 28, and I think 27 and 28, we might just read a a, a little bit from that uh, from those chapters. Uh, I don't know whether you have any notes in your Bibles on that. Over over 27, chapter 27, my note says, uh, think of Queen Victoria, the Commonwealth of Nations, uh, now 57 plus the USA, more than 2 billion people. And, but as we re- I'm going to read three or four of these verses and, and just think back to the 19th century. Uh, Queen Victoria was on the throne Brother Thomas communicated with her, found her to be receptive to what he said. And uh, so as we read 27, well, let's read this one through, one through 4. The word of Yahweh came again unto me, saying, Now thou son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyrus, and say unto Tyrus, O thou that art situate at the entry of the sea, which are the merchant of the people for many isles. Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, O Tyrus, just as thou said, I am of perfect beauty, thy borders are in the midst of the seas, and thy builders have perfected thy beauty. Uh, verse 12 says, Tarshish was thy merchant by reason of the multitude of all kinds of riches, with silver, with tin, iron, lead, they traded at the fairs. Uh, in verse 17 it says Judah the land of Israel they were thy merchants they traded in thy market wheat of mineth and panag and honey and oil and, um, and balm 25 the ships of Tarshish did sing of thee in, the, in thy market and thou wast replenished and made very glorious in the midst of the seas thy roars had brought in thee into great waters. The east wind has broken thee in the midst of the seas. In verse 32, the latter part of it, what city is like Tyrus, like the, like the destroyed in the midst of the sea? And chapter 28 begins with the same sort of introduction. Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, thus saith Yahweh Elohim, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God, I sit in the seed of God and in the midst of the seas yet thou art a man and not God though thou set thine heart as the heart of God 12 verse 12 son of man take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus and say unto him thus saith Yahweh Elohim and then we'd like to read 13 through through 16 or 13 yeah through 16 through 15 I'm sorry thou hast been in Eden the garden of God Every precious stone was thy covering. The, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee, and in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed carpet that coverest, and I have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. We talked a little bit uh, earlier about and that iniquity would be would reference into Isaiah 23 which we've already read. We won't read it again but uh, the notation that I think is proper on this is that period of 1917 was a little subsequent to that uh, was a period in which the iniquity was founded. Uh, she was an anointed cherub. She supported uh, the Peel Commission and the White Paper, which gave that land not only to the Jewish people, but it also began the negotiations with the, with the Arabs. And uh, Britain found themselves in a pretty untenable position, having given land two people and then they started I guess we would say 
double-crossing Israel. And when they double-crossed Israel, that was the iniquity that was found in them. So for 70 years, they would be not quite so well accepted in uh, God's eyesight, in the sight of Yahweh. And we believe that that, has changed, that changed sometime in the late 1980s, perhaps early 90s if you prefer. And uh, with that, we've, we have found the, the British, the United Kingdom, very much supportive of, of, the, of Israel. We, we, we want to read a couple of excerpts from, from uh, Help Us Israel. Uh, and I would suggest people who would, are interested in pursuing any of this, there's about 12 pages written in Elpis Israel, essentially with the, under the title, uh, Britain, the Jews, and the Holy Land, uh, and England in Egypt, and I guess you can find it from those, it's from those, uh, those words. Uh, let me see. Brother Thomas says the following. The reader will doubtless anticipate my reply from what has gone before. I know not whether the men who at present contrive the foreign policy of Britain entertain the idea of assuming the sovereignty of the Holy Land and the promoting of the colonization of the Jews. Their present intentions, however, are of no importance one way or the other because they will be compelled by events to happen to do what under existing circumstances heaven and earth combined could not move them to attempt. The, the decree has long since gone forth which calls upon the Lion of Tarshish to protect the Jews. Upwards of a thousand years before the British were a nation, the prophet addresses them as a power at eventide Whose interest, who should interest themselves in behalf of Israel. In view of the, this, the time of the end, he says, the nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Ho to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Kish, that sendeth ambassadors by sea, by sea, and on vessels of papyrus upon the waters. Go ye swift messengers to a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from this and onward, a nation meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers invading armies, in parenthesis, have spoiled. Now the geography of this passage points to the lion power of Tarsus, as the land shadowing with wings. Those verses, and I'd like for us to turn to them, are in Isaiah 18. Uh, well, it begins a little bit in perhaps 17, 14, and then we'll read in 18, 1 and 2. Bearing in mind that this is, these are the verses that we see as a evidence to us that of the latter-day role of, of Tarsus. Uh, verse 14 of 17 says, And behold, at eventide trouble, and before the morning he is not. 18, 1, Woe to the land, shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, that sendeth ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters, saying, Go ye swift messengers to a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from the beginning, a nation meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled. And also we, we might, uh, well, we looked at Ezekiel 27 and 28, I think, sufficiently. Uh, he comments to this, but the British 
power is still further indicated by the insular position of its seat of government, for the sending of messengers by sea implies that the shadowing power is an island state. When we think of that island state, we think of that Commonwealth of Nations picture that we view, as well as Great Britain. Okay, we would like to... We've talked a bit, when we looked at the European Union, how we've, we've noted in, in the development of that, Britain has always kind of, you know, been in and out. Uh, the, uh, I think the, the scriptures would indicate that Britain is, is going to ultimately be in. We also want to make a point that uh, when we talk about Tarshish, and this came shows up on that map. Remember, we looked at, we noted India. And uh, this is Milestones, I believe it's 2002. Uh, Brother Pierce, uh, in just a news report from DEPCA, I believe in August, uh, says that from, the, from here, that's from the Arabian Sea, Israeli submarines patrol around the Arabian Peninsula. Another Arabian, another secret military provi provides for a joint Indian, that's India, Israeli naval presence in the Arabian Sea and the Indian Ocean approaches to the Persian Gulf. So if we think about that, you know, the Persian Gulf, and we're pretty familiar with that recently, that's where the, the Tigris and the Euphrates have both uh, emptied their waters into the Persian Gulf and if we uh, go to the other end of the Persian Gulf we come to the Arabian Sea and uh, it's in that area that Israeli submarines based on Indian territory patrol and uh, Brother Pierce suggests and I've, not, I've looked for that in news clippings and I've never been able to find it but I think it's you know, except fully that that's an operation that's going on uh, con concurrently between uh, what bro Brother Thomas would identify as Eastern Tarshish. When he wrote, of course, India was associated with Britain as a part of the empire. They have now no longer a part of the empire having been granted their independence, but they are a part of the Commonwealth of Nations. Just a, a moment on the Commonwealth of Nations, uh, and I probably can't find my. Let me see if I can locate it. Easy, I know if there's anything easy. Uh, so I'll just have to tell you. My memory. But the Commonwealth of Na Nations was established in 1927 by a the Statute of Westminster which that alone lets us know it's quite British. The Queen rules, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II now reigns as Queen. Uh, that group of nations meet every year. They're free and independent, but they all assign commerce and trading rights within that, uh, that group of people. If any of you travel in the uh, Caribbean or Caribbean, have you prefer to say that, Nate Ocean, See, you will go almost any little country you stop in. The one I happened to be in once was Cayman, and I was. And you kind of, when you get off the airplane, you the first thing you see is the British flag, the a picture of the Queen, and uh, if you're a celebrity coming, they have a band there that pl plays the, the British national anthem, and I, well, I'm told that this goes on throughout all the Commonwealth of nations. Uh, something else about them that's kind of interesting and I can't think of what it is. Uh, oh, the Queen, that they, they rotate where they meet. They met, uh, from, they meet in India, they meet in uh, Hong Kong, they meet in Bermuda, they meet in many, many of these island nations. In fact, if you remember back to the Falkland War, that was it was really fought over some quarrels that they had with uh, South American countries over the Falkland Islands, which were a uh, 
a land associated with the Commonwealth of Nations. So it tells you that you know the British, the British, the United Kingdom will move to protect their interest. And uh, so we see that you know there's a lot more to just saying to trying to discount the Tarshish uh, involvement in uh, in the latter day signs associated with uh, that support for Israel. <clears throat> I think I just found that. Let's see if there's anything else I'd like to. It's an intrigue. This is a, a nice statement I think comes from, from Milestones. It is an intriguing picture to, to see, on the one hand, the Pope moving around the world, beguiling nations to support his religious power system, and we've looked extensively at that, with an outward show of morality and goodwill, and on the other, the Queen also moving around the world year by year with a sincerity of purpose and devotion to duty that draws affection from her peoples and binds them together. We should wish she were more outspoken with regard to the Bible as her father was. We continue to wonder if she will live to head, head to lead the Commonwealth as its head to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Revival and reformation has occurred in Britain in the past and can happen again when God arranges it. It has been our traditional view that all the young lions refer to what was the empire and now the Commonwealth. De develop the Commonwealth developments over the past 50 years have not altered this assessment. And then he goes on and cites from the, those verses in Ezekiel that we we we've looked at. Okay, we would like to jump our thoughts a little bit into the, uh, which some basis has already been laid for it in uh, the coming elections. Now I've got to find the, the spectator. The spectator, uh, this uh, is, is pretty recent. It was July the 10th of this month, July 10th, this month of 04. And uh, this really speaks a little bit relative to the, the upcoming elections, which we, we talked about with Mr. Blair being challenged. We, kind of, we have a background that we understand that Mr. Blair went into office as a Eurosceptic. He, he, by the way, his wife is, is Roman Catholic. Uh, he's very bound, apparently, in the support of Israel. And, and, and I like to think here, pretty much what Brother Thomas wrote, it doesn't really matter what these British politicians think. They will, uh, upwards of a thousand years ago, uh, Yahweh predetermined what they would do. And, you know, some people have a thought about that, that I'd like to just look at Romans 9 for a moment just to kind of establish this. This is what happens always. And that's a lengthy chapter, as you know, and it deals with a lot of different subjects. But uh, verse 16, we'll re re let's read 16 and 17. It says, So that it, not, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I may show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he harden. So, you know, that's a, you know, Paul is, is saying here that uh, Yahweh's purpose is absolute. And we think back to Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh was going to let the children of Israel go and then he wasn't going to let them go and he was going to let them go and he wasn't and this went all back and forth but sooner or later 
Yahweh, well not sooner or later, Yahweh had determined that they were going and Pharaoh was going to let them go. So, but he built it to the, and I, I believe there seems to be a lot of similarity if just in our time, if we narrowed it down between Britain being handled by Yahweh the same as Pharaoh was handled by Yahweh. And uh, ultimately, they're going to enact uh, the role played for them. Now, back to Mr. Howard. As I think we've already established, uh, Mr. Howard is a Tory. He is now chairman of the Tory party in Great Britain, which is the opposition to the, the Blair party uh, labor. The Tories are the conservatives. Labor is the, the more liberal. Uh, this is written by Peter Osborne in the the Spectator, which I think is kind of an economic magazine. It's very good if you, if you like to read this kind of writings. He says, look at the recent decisions by the Labor government. The decision to perform a U-turn on the constitutional refer referendum. So you remember, we're back to talking where that conflict is coming is over the Constitution of the European Union. And here, uh, Mr. Osborne says, I guess that's Oberne, Peter Oberne, O-B-O-R-N-E. There, there remain those who insist that Tory, that Tony Blair is simply a very, become very clever indeed in appropriating the conservative agenda and opportunistically passing it off as his own. Nor can it be denied that shooting the Tory, the Tory Fox on the referendum caused Michael Howard real problems during last month's European elections, opening the way for UKIP, that's a United Kingdom Independence Party, surge. But to accept these arguments is to enter too, too readily into the new labor mindset which has already been dominated by power worship. Short-term strategic considerations and an obsession with newspaper headlines. The Tory strategy under Michael Howard is much more profound. It is not simply that he has created a new, distinctly Tory and intellectually rigorous set of policies. He has also drawn Tony Blair into perilous territory. When New Labour talks of choice, they sound uneasy, defensive, and half-hearted. And there's one final huge gain. The further Tony Blair pushes New Labour towards choice, the further he moves away from his political base. This weekend, as Gordon Brown prepares to unveil his spending plans, the yawning chasm between the Prime Minister and his party was looking menacing yet again. Though the polls do not show it, rally, things rally have looked so good for Michael Howard's conservatives. So that's a very current update that, uh, and a couple of Christadelphian publications I think have recently suggested that real possibility that uh, Mr. Howard will become Prime Minister of Great Britain or the United Kingdom. So we believe that their support will remain steady. It will be very noteworthy. Uh, significant for us, I think, if we see a change in the uh, leadership of Great Britain. We don't think it's going to any way would alter uh, their support of Israel because that's been, and, and militarily, when we think about that, they're, they're well developed and, and secure in, the, in that whole region from Saudi Arabia into the Persian Gulf waters, into the Arabian Sea, into India itself. Britain has a very strong presence and a very strong loyalty. Uh, with Israel itself, Israel is still, and I think Mr. Begin always came across with this. He, he didn't, the Israelis had a little bit of uh, timidity, timidity about dealing with uh, 
Britain because they remembered the terrible incidents back in the 40s. But that's been overcome, and the United States helps a lot. And there's no question if Mr. Howard was became prime minister, Israel would become much more open, I think, with uh, with the United Kingdom. Okay. I guess that time is about right. Let's look at Ezekiel 38. Uh, and this is just to... Uh, we've talked a little bit about this in conjunction with, with Russia. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it. In, uh, the, op- the opening verses of that chapter is dealing with God of the land of Magog, which we should have a, also known as the king of the north, uh, also known as Russia. And I think we, 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 we should all have a good feeling for what, what phase we're in, by what name is used in the particular reading that we are looking at. When we come to verse 13, uh, and up until this time, we have a we have Russia coming against Israel, which is depicted as a land dwelling in unwalled villages and dwelling continents. And remember, we've talked about both of those points. Uh, dwelling continent that we saw in uh, in the Time article where it said on. Independence Day this this year, tens of thousands gathered in in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem and celebrated Independence Day confidently. Uh, we also talked about unwalled villages, and I want to go back. Brother David was nice. He went over and got a picture of the security fence. And I, I love this picture because it's it it tells us you know when we read all about the concrete wall. This is not concrete, it's a fence. And that's what consists of most of it. I, you know, we also have a, uh, there it is. Everybody see that okay? This is, uh, the, uh, the black, as it says, a section of the fence that have already been built. So you see what's been built. And it's, uh, it, I think that it, yeah, I can't take, other than that, I think in the outline, I, it was 370 miles, man, and that's up to about 400 and some miles. And uh, the, the concrete part of it is going to be around 120 or 30 miles. Here it is. And you can imagine that once that is completed, and, uh, you know, my judgment is that it is going to be completed. The UN can pass all the resolutions they want. The Israelis are going to build a fence, and there will come a time when, with the fence, uh, the rest of Israel will be unwalled. So you get the play on the word walled. We are well aware that the real uh, wall that Israel needs as a people is the wall of fire, which will be provided by the saints. So we no way think that this is just for a time and a, and a place. Uh, that the enemy is walled in, we can say, and they are walled out. So they are, they are unwalled. Okay, verse 13 was what we wanted to read. Israel is depicted. They've come back to the land. They are, have built that up, up their des- desolate places. They inhabited. They've gotten cattle and goods. That's in verse 12. Dwelling in the midst of the land. Think about the map. It's kind of the midst, the midst of the land. And then it says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions. Notice it says all the young lions, which would enable not only the Commonwealth of Nations and the United States to be included, but the, the you know Canada and Australia, New Zealand, you name it, the Falklands, uh, small and, and great will all be associated with this, this this group of people. They say to the king of the north, Art thou come to take a spoil? 
Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take spoil? To take a great spoil? So, that's the Tarshish lineup. Alright, let's move to section 8 in the, uh, in the out- section 7 in the outline. Uh, and, you know, and we, we, we just kind of think back to what we've looked at and, and the signs of the times. And we, and we caution us, each of us, to think that what Christ says that, you know, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Look at all the, the events that are coming to pass. I mean, so we, we shouldn't be discouraged. We should be encouraged. And uh, we should be built up if we're ever built up. We can, everything we read in our newspapers or wherever we read, the Bible, obviously, number one, but we see things drawing to a conclusion. You know, it's like looking at a picture of something that's coming into a funnel. And sooner or later we get to the funnel, and that's the, the end of it. It's, it's accomplished. Uh, so wh- where should we be? Uh, we know what the ecclesia is looking for. That is the reestablishment of the kingdom of God in the earth with Christ and his brethren as kings and priests. Uh, that's where we should be. But we have one more sign, and that's the sign within the ecclesia. So if we can't look around and see the nations in movement uh, as a people, we should be able to look at where we are. Uh, let's let's turn to uh, Revelation three. This is Laodicea, and I guess this is where uh, we all we all start with this decision, conclusion. Revelation 3, and let's read, uh, I guess let's read 14 through 20. And unto the angel of the ecclesia led to say, All right, these things which saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy words, thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I were, I would that thou were cold nor hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Uh, let's kind of pause there for a minute. Uh, poor, blind, miserable, wretched. That's a pretty bad description. And you and I can, you know, we need to, you know, self-examine. Are uh, we as a community fit to be described suchly? I, don't, I think we would all say, to say otherwise is really a contradiction of what the apocalyptic writer received. I mean, this is, it isn't like, as Brother Thomas said in that article that Adam read this morning, he's not saying that. This is what the scriptures say. And then he, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, clothed and that the Thy shame, the shame of thy nakedness, do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with thy salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke, and chasten, and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. So you, you see, the, the great prize is held out to us to rule with him in his kingdom. But if we are classified as poor, blind, naked, wretched, uh, we better 
by gold tried in the fire. Our world is self-indulgent. I think we all realize that. And what's the problem that you and I would have is copying the world of self-indulgence. And I think each of us need to examine ourselves. Are we self-indulgent? Are we more concerned about what our brethren have or don't have than we are what we have or have? You know, it's a, you know, it's a feeling that, and we must rem remember, uh, the Lord expects. We went back to the first century ecclesia, which we talked about early. Uh, you know, they had all things in common. They shared with each other, not only their hope but their worldly possessions. Uh, today, people are not concerned about others. You know, reminds us very much of Jesus when he said, you know, to the the man accused of not sharing, he says, you know, you say, be ye filled, but you give a stone. So I think, you know, in those areas we are very much uh, lacking, and we need to we need to really contemplate it. We we've come through a disappointing period in, in the brotherhood, and I think we have, we are. Uh, we need to be, be, be careful. Let's look at a couple of, of uh, verses. I think we have a little time, and that's good. Uh, let's look at Second Timothy 3:13. I tell you, let, keep on over to a. Uh, Matthew 7. Let's look at Matthew 7 first. It was well to see what Jesus said uh, to start with. And then we'll, we'll look at some, a couple of verses from Paul and a couple of verses from Peter. Seven fifteen of Matthew. Jesus says uh Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And in verse 20 he says Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. And then he says Not everyone that saith unto me Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day Lord, Lord have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then I will profess unto them I never knew you depart from me ye that work iniquity beware false prophets uh, let's, let's back, go back to 2 Timothy 3.13 I know a lot of these verses have been used this week, and that's uh, that's good. The more we read them, the maybe the more we uh, appreciate them. Here, yeah, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says in verse one, chapter three, "This ye know that in the last days perilous times shall come," and he has a great description there of, of these last days. When he gets to verse thirteen. He says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let's look in 1 Timothy 4. Uh, again, he's in, he, he speaks of seducing spirits. Uh, chapter 4, verses... Uh, we'll read the first couple of verses. Now, the spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Uh, uh, one of our brethren this week spoke of you know people de departing from the faith. It says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences said with hot iron. Let's look in Acts 20, 29. As we are 
reading these up, these verses, we, we need to think, is this our time? And, and this one I find very uh, concerning. Paul's saying, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And note, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And, you know, and from the time of the Christadelphian movement till now, there's, there's always been deceivers. Uh, we can look at some of them historically because we are removed from them uh, on a personal level. And we see false things they taught which built in and they still existed even into our time. Uh, you know, serious matters. Uh, questions regarding the nature of Christ. Who was Jesus? And remember we can go back. That, that debate has been debated over 2,000 years by Jews and Gentiles. The Jews are awakening, hopefully. The Gentiles are, are losing their momentum. And with that momentum, in the, the Christadelphians are losing theirs. And it didn't start in the last 10 years. It started 50 years ago. It, strangely enough, in the unamended community, which we always like to think is so great, A. Zilma was a founder of it. There are many sections of unamended Christadelphia today that still follow the teachings of Ed Zilma. If they don't follow him on the nature of Christ, they follow him on the seventh and eighth day uh, lack of understanding. In other words, they don't understand the rebellion at the end of the thousand years. That's just as serious. Because he when you don't understand that, you don't want to understand when sin in the flesh will be cut off. So with it, you have to modify your thinking to allow for what's called judicial judgment, which means a sinner, as he die, as he sins during the thousand years, has appeared and he's cut off. Major divisions, sections of our community believe that. And if change that little statement of faith that we brag is unamended, with that amendment. So let me make a real strong statement, which I would be written out on a rail. There ain't any unamended statement. There is no such thing. The closest to an unamended statement that I can see would probably be the Canadian unamended statement. But this little yellow book that goes around with the name Harris on the front of it, that statement is not unamended. On the front of it, it, in the first front piece of it, it says the following changes have been, or rather, I think it says, have been made, and it enumerates them. The one that really bothers me is Proposition 29, which deals with the end of the millennium, the moving from the seventh to the eighth day. And I say, without any question in my mind, that is a false, perverse teaching which was put upon the Christadelphian community in the 20s. So, you know, I'm off my soapbox. Let's look at Galatians 2.4. 2.14. And by the way, don't try to get that changed. Because it's... But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... It looks like I wrote that wrong. 2.4, I'm sorry. And that, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to, privily to, under, to spy our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us unto bondage. Again, just speaking of false brethren. Okay, we've got about three minutes. Anybody want to make a... I really wanted to have, have more time on to discuss this issue because I think it's of a concern to all of us is where are we? I think it's a sign of the times and I think it becomes very important knowing that that we we prepare ourselves and, and, I, and I'm certainly not suggesting we try to 
change other people significantly unless we we have a real close person friend that we think we can help you know the, the, the idea with helping people helping our brethren is to help each other you know Romans 10 1 comes very much into mind what Paul said his prayer was that all Israel might be saved and, and that's what it should be our prayer you know we look at this vast uh, small remnant and our interest should be that they that we all understand the truth. It's not that I, I want to know something and I don't want them to know it. We all should understand. We need to understand because the time of Christ's return is now. You know, I would seriously doubt uh, that all these events aren't brought to a fruition to the point that you and I are transported to the judgment seat of Christ in Teman to give an account of what we've done. And I don't know about you, but the thought of it brings, hopefully, godly fear to me, but I can assure you it brings fear. And I think we have that. I think our community today is suffering because inwardly we know we're, we're not where we should be as a people, individually and collectively. you got to... Many for a question if you or a comment. I, I love comments. Thank you for your time and energy. We love you. Yeah. I don't need that kind of <laughs> Okay. I won't say it again. All right. Thank you. I, I appreciate your time. And I know you mean it. That's not a but I, I really you know, I, I'm I'm really concerned for us as a as a body. We have a lot of wrongs that we need to make right. And I don't care whether you come in conflict with your family, your closest friend. Think about Brother Thomas. You know, the two of his closest friends, he both was, he both of them he was no longer an associate with before his death. Think of the Lord Jesus. And I, when he when he really went under his trial, what happened to his disciples? They all forsook him and fled. So you know, it's you know we're all at heart uh, scared. But the person for us to be the the place for us to be afraid of is the, is the judgment seat. Because when we when we get there, the Lord Jesus is not going to uh, take a lot of our nonsense. In fact, I doubt seriously we're going to offer him any. We're going to be just like Brother David spoke of Job last night. But Job had a chance to repent. Our chance to repent is now. You know, we are living in the same period that Job lived in, in allegory. And uh, he sat in sackcloth and ashes, and he, was, he said, I'm so ashamed, I have nothing to say. And, and, and look, he was the man who had been bragging about, you know, he was challenging Yahweh. You know, I'm right and you're wrong. But he, he became a broken man. And that's what you and I need to be now. It's going to be too late when we have our plane ticket to Teeman. I don't mean, I don't think we'll get a plane ticket, by the way, but we're not going to be ready. We're not going to be in route when we suddenly say, I think somebody very early this week said uh, that what we are when we are now is what we will be when we appear to judgment. We're not going to have transformation. Today is the day we need to transform. So with those thoughts, you know, let's, I'll, I'll end on an upbeat. When these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh.